the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Third and final hour, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Thanks for joining us, being along for the ride today. Open lines, open conversation for the next hour. My thanks, though, to Matt Crane. Not mincing any words as he comes on, the executive director of the Colorado County Clerks Association, former clerk in Arapahoe County before the county's license plate tag clerk, Joan Lopez, managed to bamboozle the people of the county into electing her clerk and then re-electing her in a solidly Democratic county that is now Arapahoe County. And let, let's just say that uh, she's, not, she's not good uh, in, in that role. I'll just put it that way. Nevertheless, uh, I have known Matt Crane for years now. And he is one of the most honorable people that I know in politics. Straight up, I will say that. Say what you will about him, but I've known the guy personally and professionally for almost 10 years, I think. And he did a phenomenal job in Arapahoe County. And I wish he was still there, or at least did a second term. And we'll see uh, what what happens in, in the future. Maybe he'll go for some other office. I don't know. But I will just say that he's somebody that I trust, and that is very honorable, even though he's been all too often maligned by people for the past few years couple things I want to get to as well. Uh, Stephen Littleton texting in. Jimmy, excellent overview of the election process. A lot of opportunities to get things right. As long as honest people are involved. Yes, that's the key. It really does come down to the people, not say the technology or what have you. It is the human checks and the human components of the process that are key. And I mean the humans that are executing the process of our elections. That's essential. And I think uh, very valuable as well. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Let's stay on the topic of elections for just a few minutes more. Let's go to Greg on the program. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, good morning. Hey, a few weeks ago, I think on your Saturday morning show, um, you said that the, the stories in Georgia about the suitcases of ballots was disproven or debunked. And I, I've never, I've, I see, read that a lot, but I've never known how exactly it was debunked. How was it proven to be otherwise? So I think that was actually Peter might have mentioned it, um, not me, uh, but because I haven't really talked about those other states. But I believe what happened, yeah, actually, I think it was Peter during our crossover. 
I'll have to double check with him, but I'm pretty sure we did a crossover, so it would have been on my show, but with talking with Peter Boyles. Um, and, and I think it had to do with manipulation of the cameras to make it look like there were things going on under the table and so forth, literally under the table and so forth. Um, and that, that that's what it was, was the video footage was manipulated to give the impression. When you actually look at the timestamps of it all, it's not as was painted. But honestly... I have focused so much more on Colorado and really understanding our process and what goes on here that I am not very well qualified to talk about other states, except insofar as I'm concerned about some of the things that other states did that I don't think would have resulted in a stolen election in any way, but that certainly provided some advantages to the Democrats when we look at Pennsylvania and Georgia. But I'm not the best to speak on that instance, though, uh, Greg. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was also uh, an election judge uh, doing signature verification. And, um, and most of the ones I looked at were, were dead ringers. I mean, they, it took me like, you know, a second to look at two, that, the two signatures say, yeah, they're the same person. They're the same person. But only about, I don't know, two thirds or a, a third of the total signatures actually came to people for verification because the automated system must have approved them automatically before that uh, and so the signatures must have been dead on and they use a, a software system for, called periscript to do that analysis so you know a good over a hundred thousand in the county i was in mm. were automatically a, approved and i i got the question the ones i looked at if they were dead ringers and i approved them how accurate were the ones the hundred thousand plus that actually went through automatically by the software mm. Uh, Sometimes I think if it, yeah, go ahead. And if it's a hundred percent fit, that is, I mean, a perfect match. I would like to examine that because hmm. you know, to, to, you know, two people to sign, uh, sign the same signature well, to get a perfect match. Greg, is this is zero. This is why I think uh, it's beneficial to have a signature verification audit mandated across the state. A handful of counties have been doing these audits. They've started piloting them actually in Jefferson County, I think if I remember correctly, when Pam Anderson, who of course was the Republican candidate for Secretary of State last year, when she was clerk in Jefferson County, I'm almost positive, if not positive, that she piloted a signature verification audit there. And I think that's something that should be done statewide to make sure that after the election, you are you are improving the system every time, because that's fundamentally what you need to do. Would such an audit include contacting the people who had the perfect signature matches and ask them if if they voted, if that was their signature? Or, uh, or how do you audit that? I, I don't think so, but I don't know the specifics of how they operate it. I think, generally speaking, the only time that they contact voters is when a ballot needs to be cured. I'm not sure about the, the specifics of the audit um, and, and how that operates. Yeah, okay. in, in that if, case, if it, I know how the risk yeah. limiting audit works because I did that to audit the actual election results, but... Um, and, and that one was a fascinating process in and of itself, but I'm well, not sure about the specifics. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, recounting ballots is, well, should always give the same number. Um, yes. And, you know, it's, just, it's before the ballots get in there that's got to be audited. And, and um, uh, you know, well, part of the... yeah, you, you, you can't just do that because you need to have the actual results tabulated in order to do a comparison okay. like right. that. 
Um, otherwise, yeah. you have nothing that you can compare to for reference. So, um, I, and I think fundamentally what an audit is more about is making sure that you have confidence in the results and that you're able to say, okay, these are tweaks and changes that need to happen. But, Greg, I got to run. I appreciate the call. Right. Thank you, sir. At 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you'd like to join in to the festivities. I, I do want to go back for a moment to earlier on in the program, first hour, we had my friend Rabbi Jonathan Hausman on the program. He's rabbi at a Havath Torah congregation in Stoughton, Massachusetts. And we talked about Hanukkah and the, the lesson that it has as a holiday right now for the Jewish people and for the, the war in Gaza in particular. Keep in mind, nearly 2,200 years ago, this is what Hanukkah recognizes. The Jewish people at the time recaptured Jerusalem and rededicated the second temple recaptured and rededicated and yet now they want to call the jews colonizers oh look they're occupiers on stolen land when 2200 years ago they recaptured jerusalem they were there already just absurd but then you had this from the president of of uh, UPenn, the University of Pennsylvania, went and it was it was quite something because she went ahead and backpedaled in her discussion of trying to find the clip here. There we go. Uh, in in the testimony that she had given in Congress. And that was testimony given by her and by other university presidents where they would not acknowledge the anti-Semitism in any direct way. They were focused on some supposed principles of free speech. And, well, here's her backpedaling a little bit. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear. A call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. In my view, it would be harassment or intimidation. And, of course, this happened a few days after the testimony before Congress. And listener texted earlier in the program. She backpedaled because she lost $100 million from a donor. Not quite. The donor, though, said the following. Fire the president of the university. 
Liz McGill or I'm pulling $100 million in value from you guys. So basically the same thing, but the threat is you have to go or else. And so, of course, she did that backpedaling. But isn't it something else that now UPenn and Harvard and MIT, they are now bastions of free speech. Bastions of liberty. Speak your mind free expression of ideas. Yeah, right. Tell that to the conservative students who have been denied acceptance or had it revoked to your universities, to the speakers that have ended up being unable to speak and being shut down or having invitations withdrawn. And the anti-Semitism on college campuses goes back a hell of a lot longer than October 7th. And it is all being rammed through across the country through these diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Which are anything but and are really fronts for and have been fronts for anti-Semitism. They don't want to accept Jews as a minority group. Now, I do find something rather, while we're on this topic, rather humorous. Tweets from the leftists in Congress, including Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Happy Hanukkah. To our Jewish neighbors in hashtag 12th District Strong and beyond. May this be a time of love and community for you and your loved ones. That was Rashida Tlaib on December 7th, two months to the day after Hamas attacked Israel in the worst, most brutal, most barbaric attack on Jews since the Holocaust. She calls for the eradication of Israel, pushing from the river to the sea and the rest. And she has the audacity to say, may this be a time of love and community? When she's consistently calling for the end of the Jewish state, And she's also forgetting, remember what I just said? Hanukkah, as we talked about with Rabbi Hausman, is about, in a literal story sense, the recapture of Jerusalem, rededication of the Second Temple. Which undercuts her claims about Israel being an occupier on stolen land and the rest. And she has the audacity to say, Happy Hanukkah! Literally absurd. One of the most absurd things that I've ever read from a politician completely contradicted by herself. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, also of the progressive ilk in the House. Happy first night of Hanukkah to our Jewish siblings in the MA7 across and across the world. The celebration carries extra meaning for so many this year, and I wish everyone light, joy, and peace. This holiday season. 
<laughs> really? Really? It just, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't make this stuff up. Johnny in Denver texting, Jewish people colonizers? How do we get so stupid? Was it when we took the Bible out of the school or was it something and then we stopped teaching civics and making the students go and research and document their statements when taking social studies? Yeah, you have a failure in the teaching of history and more in schools. That's a big piece of this for sure. Our telephone number, if you want to join into the festivities, let's keep the conversation going. 303-696-1971. What is going on with the Hunter Biden story? What is really undergirding it, especially the media starting to really cover this with more gusto than before? I'll talk about that and get your thoughts as we continue. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Joe Bonamassa bringing us back. News Talk 710 KNUS. Gotta love his rendition of Merry Christmas, baby, as we continue. JimmySangenberger.com slash Bluesified Christmas. Go find yourself a curated selection of the best Christmas bumper music known to man and that you will find anywhere. 36 degrees supposed to be the high today. Looks like we're past the snow to get... A little bit in there, handful of inches. I don't know. It seemed like it was four inches or so that was on my cut three inches. I'm not good at measuring uh, snow, though. But there was a little bit on my, on my car this morning. I will note that. Good to be with you, 710 KNUS, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Just real quick, relative to Rashida Tlaib, who now is claiming Merry Christmas. Excuse me. Not Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. To the Jewish people in her district, uh, and yet here she said, "All those that uh, you know, from college students to those in the workplace, I'm getting the calls of people being uh, pushed to silence, being bullied. Uh, some people weaponizing uh, anti-Semitism in a way to silence voices. All of that needs to stop. You know, Americans have a right to speak up. Americans have a right to, to the institutions they work at or the people that represent them to say, look, this is my opinion. I believe you should support X, Y, and Z. Uh, and again, we have to be able to make sure that as we look at all these forms of hate, that it is not being weaponized in a way to silence voices like myself and our, you know, many of the voices that are <laughs> She's here. worried about being silenced, but she also wants you to think she's a half wishing uh, Jewish our Jewish brothers and sisters, a happy Hanukkah and uh, love and community for this time of the holiday. Uh, it's just absolutely absurd. Okay, so Hunter Biden, we all know this. He's been indicted on tax charges, nine tax charges in this indictment on Thursday. In as the Wall Street Journal reported a case that adds a new layer of legal peril for President Biden's son as he faces continued congressional scrutiny and a separate prosecution on felony gun charges. The indictment from a grand jury seated in Los Angeles sets up another case with the potential for a trial coinciding with the president's re-election campaign. The indictment includes three felony charges and six misdemeanor tax offenses, adding new allegations to those included in a plea deal Hunter Biden reached with federal prosecutors earlier this year that fell apart. In the 56-page indictment, prosecutors from Special Counsel David Weiss's office 
said the younger Biden chose over a four-year period not to pay at least $1.4 million in federal taxes he owed for the years 2016, the final full year of Joe Biden's vice presidency through 2019. Prosecutors said Hunter Biden also evaded taxes for 2018 by filing false or fraudulent returns. Hunter Biden, quote, spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle rather than paying his tax bills, prosecutors wrote in the indictment. But of course, there is more to this story and more that may be to come. Here is CBS's Catherine Herridge summarizing a little bit of that and how it opens the door this Indictment to more trouble for Hunter Biden. In the first page, I think the language is uh, that they describe him as a lobbyist. Lobbyists have to register under what's called FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is a government way of saying that if you're working on behalf of foreign interests, you have to tell the U.S. government. In this case, the indictment spends a lot of time talking about Hunter Biden's business deals with the Ukraine energy firm Burisma. It also talks about his work with a Chinese energy firm, CEFC, and it also talks about his work with Romania. And that, to me, seems to leave the door open to potential fear of violations. I also would add that there has been some reporting subpoenas have been issued for his uh, his business partner, the president's uh, brother, James Biden. And that would go to the idea of a fair, you know, working together, yeah. lobbying on behalf of foreign interests. Now, we say all of that, but their position has been that they he he accepts responsibility for this this period in his life, but they've in no way admitted that they have been lobbying on behalf of those entities. And you know, it's also interesting that Joe Biden was unaware of the this indictment and its details, and he first said, "Oh, that's a lie," when he found out about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, according to the indictment, not such a lie after all. Now, this is interesting um, when you think about the political implications. Of all of this, Uh, my view was immediately as I saw some of the left leaning media and the left wing media reporting on this more like it's recognizing it's a big deal and it could imperil Joe Biden. Highlighting that point, you get the thought, oh, hmm, maybe just maybe they don't want Joe Biden in there. Tommy Lahren over on the Fox News channel expressed this as well. And I think she was right on. But, Sean, in the opening, you said that Hunter might be the sacrificial lamb for Joe. I don't think so. I think Hunter is the sacrificial lamb for the Democrat Party because this, I believe, is how they get Joe to step aside. They don't want Joe to be their nominee. They're going to turn up the heat and turn the screws to get Joe to walk away. This just might be the thing that does it. Exactly. I think that's spot on and exactly right. The question more is the timing of this. I don't think that they can have him stop running now because I think a lot of the states they're finalizing their primary ballots that sort of thing so to get other Democrats campaigns be it Gavin Newsom over in uh, California Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan whomever else getting primary campaigns up and running not plausible but what about at the convention 303-696-1971. Could Biden be replaced at the convention in August? And they are and they ramp up these issues so that you put him into a box where he has to do it. 303-696-1971. 
I think that is what's going on here. Because this is a challenge, to put it mildly, for Biden. It has the appearance very much of corruption. And I'm saying appearance here because we have to see how the court of law works out with all this. But the bigger component here is not Hunter Biden, and it is about Joe Biden's role in this. Now, it's interesting. David Axelrod, the former Obama-Biden campaign manager and advisor, was on uh, CNN, where he's, I believe, a contributor. And he said, look, Biden's full speed ahead. But, yeah, this Hunter Biden thing is going to be an issue. No, I don't know, Anderson. I, I, I have the strong sense that the president is full speed ahead and that he's going to go through with this campaign. But as I said, he's going to this, this is a this is more than a political burden. This is an emotional burden. And mm-hmm. and we'll see. But the family has always encouraged him. And uh, I don't imagine they're going to discourage him now. And I do think, as Paula suggests, that there's going to be a major effort to depict these as politically motivated charges. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic because you see both sides trying to do that. In that sense, this serves um, this serves. Donald Trump's uh, purposes, because he'd love to muddy the waters and suggest that the whole system is a swamp and uh, uh, and uh, point fingers in a lot of different directions. Uh, so it's it's just one more thing that's going to make it a a messy, a messy, messy campaign. I, yeah, I don't know how they get off on, uh, you know, with with saying uh, Hunter Biden. It's a political prosecution. Really? Just how? How do you draw that conclusion with who is in power right now? That's for sure. Richard, the limo driver. Hello, Jimmy. There are those out there who believe the California indictments against Hunter are an end run around him having to be deposed by the Congress. And as we know, there's no limit to the deceit of the Democrats. So this is a plausible scenario. Yes, actually, if there's any politics in the prosecution... Could be the timing of this indictment trying to, yes, prevent Hunter from being deposed by the Democrats. I don't know how true that is, but there's at least plausible reason to question that. I agree with you, Richard. Listener text coming in. If the Dems kick Biden off the uh, ticket and replace him with Michelle Obama... We will be destroyed. Now, I don't think Michelle Obama is going to be in any way. You have Biden get out. I don't think it's Michelle Obama at all. I think you're more likely to see Gavin Newsom. I doubt Kamala Harris. Always possible. Gretchen Whitmer. There are a few. Maybe Jared Polis. I doubt it, but possibly. There would be a, a handful of people that could replace him. So we'll see what ends up happening and how it unfolds. But there's a lot more heat being thrown at Joe Biden, in part because you look at what's happening with the economy right now, and it is struggling. The jobs market is starting to get squeezed, increasingly difficult. Uh, It's an increasingly difficult economic environment. I had a great guest Back on uh, uh, earlier this week when I was doing uh, 3 p.m., uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth, who 
said, and she was a former uh, advisor to the Federal Reserve down in Dallas. She wrote a book uh, called Fed Up about the Fed and the problems with it and so forth. And um, she said, look, we're in recession right now. Now, you don't have two quarters consecutive of negative economic growth yet, so the official uh, tally will take some time before that happens. But she's looking at how we traditionally ended multiple metrics of what happens when you enter into a recession, when you end the quarter before and you begin the quarter, the first quarter of that recession. So we'll see if that pans out. There's been doom and gloom for the economy for a while, but the jobs market has been robust. But now consumers are cutting back on spending. The job situation is more negative. People are not quitting their jobs, which is normally what happens when you feel confident you can get a job elsewhere and you're not like where you're working and so forth. Other negative indicators. And 71% of Americans, according to CNN, say that economic conditions are poor and overwhelmingly trust Republicans over Democrats on the economy. So if that's the case and you have the Hunter Biden situation on top of it, what does that mean for Democrat prospects next year? It means there's a shadow cast over it, over the party and its chances, particularly because of these troubles with Biden. So the best way to handle this is or would be to oust him in the best possible way. So that's why you have a guy like Gavin Newsom clearly trying to do a shadow run for the presidency. Wouldn't it be fascinating, though? Let's just take off our partisan hats. If you're a partisan Republican, take off your partisan hats for a moment. And just think about the spectacle of a decision on a nominee being made by a major party entirely at the convention. We have not had that in decades and decades since reforms that happened in, I think, the 1970s. You haven't had that. It would be just uproariously entertaining. It would be something else to see that kind of a spectacle because I don't think whoever becomes the nominee is just going to have a walk in the park. Not with this Democratic Party. Now, with the divide among Democrats between the anti-Semites or sympathizers and those who are aligned with Israel, the, the, the party is divided over that. And I don't think that's going away come next summer. So just from a sort of political science perspective, from the observation of, of politics and all those dynamics, it's fascinating to think about what could happen at A convention like that for the first time in many decades. You could actually see them wrangle and and debate and discuss who should be the nominee for Democrats because Joe Biden has dropped out and we can't nominate him. But they bypass the primary caucuses because they don't want to just have what would it be Marianne Wilson and there's one or two other Democrats that are running. Williamson, especially since RFK Jr. dropped out, so there's not he's not in the race. And they're not going to let it be a contest of nobodies, pretty much nobodies, running to be the nominee and being on these ballots. No, they want Biden to stay the nominee until the convention, and that's where they could snatch it from. Now it's entirely possible he just sticks with it. 
he gets reelected and then they replace him a year or two in with Kamala Harris, for example, and elevate her. He resigns because he can't do it anymore. And there you go. Now, that is a possibility. Who knows? We'll have to see. But certainly when when you look at the economy and you look at the Hunter Biden indictment, not good, not looking good for Joe Biden at this time, whether it's up against Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, whomever it is. And by the way, this age question, we talk a lot about Biden's age and Biden's inadequacies in that regard. Well, what about Donald Trump's? Here's Megyn Kelly offering some thoughts about exactly that. I think this was in a conversation with Glenn Beck. But there's no question Trump has lost a step or multiple steps. He is confusing Joe Biden for Obama. I know he's now saying he intentionally did that. Go back and look at the clips. It wasn't intentional. It was very look, any of us could have a slip of of the tongue, but it's happening to him repeatedly. The reference about how somebody's going to get us into World War Two, confusing countries, confusing cities where he is. It's happening more and more with all due respect to Trump. This is what happens when you're 77 years old. Yeah. Trump. Seems inhuman, but he's not inhuman. He's a human. He's a, he's a man. DeSantis' line about father time spares no one was a good one. Um, so, look, if it's between Trump and Biden, I don't think mm-hmm. there's any question who's more fit and who's capable. But are we really going to pretend that Donald Trump is just as vibrant and mentally sharp as he yeah. was in 16? Uh, That's okay. fair. Trump is more with it than Biden But he's not as sharp as he was in 2016, without a doubt. That's why Ron DeSantis was hitting multiple times in the debate on Wednesday night about how Father Time is undefeated. He's talking about that. and That's not an irrelevant issue. It is an issue of concern for both parties. And I think it's a fair point to be raised. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We're going to take a break. On the other side, the man is in the house. Peter Boyle's up from 9 to noon. We'll do our crossover and wrap up the show. Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. We're going way back to wrap up and wind down the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. Little the great Sonny Boy Williamson, too, with his Christmas song, Santa Claus. You want to talk about one of the best harp players of all time, one of the originals, the OGs. It was Sonny Boy Williamson. Uh, Peter Boyle is joining us here in studio. You know, we started off the show by talking blues with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman. Let's in part end the show with that. Uh, talk, uh, talk to me about Sonny Boy. I mean, brother, he's he could play. Cook Sonny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. Yep. Cook Sonny Boy. He, uh, what the, the, the crazy story about, oh, well, there are a lot of crazy mm-hmm. stories about him, but one of them is how the original Sonny Boy Williamson was around Chicago. He was playing the harp. And here was Sonny Boy Williamson, now known as Sonny Boy Williamson, too, going around town pretending to be to the, be, under, the other right. Sonny Boy. That's right. And so his recordings were as Sonny Boy Williamson. Yeah. And then when people finally caught on and all that, eventually they added two. It's I I like you think the second, but it's actually two. And that's the story. Um, I love that period of time so much. <laughs> and fascinating. No, they're really amazing. Today... Um, I've been billboarding this book. It's called The Daltons of the Dalton Gang. And mm. in that time period, following the American Civil War with Frank and Jesse and the Youngers, Coleman Younger, 
And, and the dominants were really the Daltons. And I didn't know that much about the Daltons. And this book comes out entitled The Dalton Gang. Mm. And I couldn't put it down. And we've talked about Northfield, Minnesota, the Great Raid. But it really does all end in Coffeyville. But I've told you this question off air. When do outlaws become gangsters? Mm. These are bank robbers. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trained robbers. Well, who was John Dillinger? When did that transition happen? Yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. But they're all from the South. Uh, and from Missouri, they were all Confederates. Uh, they were related. Uh, they all would return. And as someone said, you go to Missouri today and say something bad about Frank and Jesse, you better duck. Because <laughs> they're still heroes. Yeah. You know, and I know that Pretty Boy Floyd burned mortgages during the Depression. And they were, they, I love the stories about these guys. So it's the Dalton gang and the most brazen bank heist in history. And guys with me this morning. Uh, let me ask you. That's awesome. Sure. Let me ask you a big picture question. What is it about history that fascinates you so much? Um, ever since I was a little boy, I, I don't know. I think that, and I had this conversation the other night, it is immensely rep- repetitive. Um, and if you don't know where you've been, then you can't know where you're going. Yeah. And on the other hand, all of this that we're watching in the world today has happened before, and the outcomes are never good. Mm. And so what we're watching now... Um, is going to, if it deals like it's dealt in the past, it comes from the bottom yeah, of the deck. I mean, history, if, if history doesn't repeat itself, it, it rhymes. It rhymes. Very no, least course. it rhymes. No, it does. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it really does. And so now what are we watching? Yeah. And it's a great question. As they say, yeah. those who don't learn from history Will. are doomed to repeat. And it. even if they do know. Yes. They Oftentimes. Re- they still repeat it. That's very true. Or they don't read it like George Bush never read any history of Afghanistan, mm. or better yet, my God, to talk about Iraq. Peter Boyles, 9 to noon. Go get him, brother. All right, that is it for me today. Once again, going back to our first hour especially with Rabbi Houseman. Check that out if you didn't listen to it earlier. Happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish listeners today. And I hope you enjoy the Festival of Lights with your families and I will be back next Saturday morning with more engaging, intelligent talk, Sang style right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. We'll continue to bring you the best Christmas bumper music known to man. And, of course, conversations on a range of topics. There's so much going on in the world today. And be sure to read my columns in the Denver Gazette as well every Tuesday and Friday, of course, this past Friday's was entitled The Border Crisis Hits Home in Denver. And yes, indeed, it has. See you next Saturday. Peter's up next. Stay warm out there. And as always, may God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.